medical education has in essence forgotten for the general practitioner in particular that this is a narrow therapeutic index drug that can make it difficult to get the right dose for the right patient at that point in time for the patient. You think about the strengths this product is available, it's down to the microgram. And we got multiple strengths, just varying a degree of micrograms from one product to the next that should in itself tell you that it's a difficult product to optimize the dose, but it's often forgotten. A better understanding by the medical community of their options in terms of formulations or levothyroxine product would be, I think, beneficial clinically and beneficial economically to the health systems as well as the patient. Do you want to finally feel and live well with a thyroid condition? Then I want to welcome you to the Thyroid Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Mary Showman. It's time to dive in. You can't talk about hypothyroidism without talking about levothyroxine the drug that's a synthetic version of thyroxine, the T4 thyroid hormone. In the U.S., you may know it by brand names like Synthroid, Tyrosint, Levoxyl, Unithroid, or Euthyrox. Conventional physicians consider levothyroxine the primary and, in many cases, the only treatment for an underactive thyroid. As a result, levothyroxine is considered the so-called standard of care for hypothyroidism. As a result, the majority of thyroid patients end up taking levothyroxine. Many of you listening are probably taking it right now. But there are some challenges that some of you may not know about and doctors just don't discuss. First, many patients are unhappy with their levothyroxine treatment, and studies show that the majority of patients are not well-controlled on levothyroxine tablets. Second, many patients, and in some cases their doctors, are still unfamiliar with or misinformed about levothyroxine options. Find the right hypothyroidism treatment for you, and you can relieve your symptoms, be happy with your treatment, and control your hypothyroidism well. End up on the wrong medication, and you can continue to have symptoms like fatigue, brain fog, depression, and weight gain for years or even a lifetime. You may think that there's not much difference between one levothyroxine drug or another, but you couldn't be more wrong. If there's one thing I want you to remember, it's this. All levothyroxine is not alike. There are brand name pills and generics, and they are different different fillers, dyes, and coatings. Different pills, even at the same dosage, have different potencies. Then there are liquid gel caps and oral solution levothyroxine. How can you know which one is right for you, especially if you don't know all your options? That's why it's time to get up to speed on levothyroxine. In this episode, we'll look at the pros and cons of different types of levothyroxine. You'll also hear from pharmaceutical researcher and professor Dr. Charles Carter about the risks of compounded liquid levothyroxine and the costs of levothyroxine treatment. So let's dive in and get up to speed on levothyroxine. I want to start out by running through the three types of levothyroxine. First, there is the best known form of levothyroxine, the tablets. In the tablet area, you'll find the brands, including Synthroid, Levoxyl, 
Unithroid, and Euthyrox. There are also many companies making generic versions of levothyroxine. Second, there are gel capsules that contain a liquid form of levothyroxine. It's a brand name called Tyrosint. And third and finally, there is a liquid levothyroxine known as an oral solution. And that's also a brand name, Tyrosint Soul. What's different about the three types of levothyroxine? Well, the first thing to keep in mind is something called excipients. The active ingredient in all three types of levothyroxine drugs is the levothyroxine, the synthetic thyroid hormone itself. Like all medications, however, levothyroxine also includes excipients. Excipient is the fancy term for the inactive and inert ingredients that serve as fillers, binders, and coatings. But here's the important piece of this. Excipients can affect how well you absorb your levothyroxine. There are four excipients in particular that you need to be on the lookout for in levothyroxine tablets. Acacia is a pollen-producing tree shrub that can trigger sensitivities in about the 30% of the public that has seasonal pollen allergies and hay fever. Synthroid, Unithroid, and some generic tablets have acacia. Lactose is the ingredient in dairy products that can trigger sensitivities in people who are lactose intolerant. You will find lactose in Synthroid, Unithroid, and some generic tablets. For your information, the National Institutes of Health estimates that around 65% of the population has some degree of lactose intolerance. Then there's cross-povidone, also known as povidone. It's a form of iodine and can trigger symptoms in people who are sensitive to iodine. It's found in Synthroid and some of the generic tablets. Finally, there's glycolate, also known as starch glycolate, which frequently includes wheat starch and gluten. This can cause problems for people with celiac disease, gluten intolerance, or gluten sensitivity. Most of the levothyroxine tablets have some form of glycolate in them. Euthyrox tablets, however, are certified gluten-free. Overall, about 15% of the population is allergic or sensitive to various excipients and medications. How do you know if you're one of them? Well, first of all, your thyroid medication may not work and it leaves you symptomatic. This is a major warning sign, but there are some specific signs and symptoms and they include a skin rash, hives, itching, fatigue, swelling, stomach pain, diarrhea, bloating and gas, and migraine. If you have any signs or symptoms of sensitivity to excipients, here's a basic step to take. Talk to your doctor about switching to a specific brand of levothyroxine that does not include the most problematic excipients. There's a detailed chart of all of the excipients by medication available in a free ebook that I've put together on levothyroxine. You'll find it at www.thyrooiddeepdive.com slash thyrooiddrugs. And here's another tip. All the tablet forms contain multiple excipients, and sometimes it's hard to figure out which one could be causing problems. That's a good time to consider tyrosine and tyrosine sole. The tyrosine gel capsules have liquid levothyroxine and are considered hypoallergenic with only three excipients, gelatin, glycerin, and water. Sensitivity or allergies to gelatin and glycerin are extremely rare. Tyrosin Sol, which is the oral solution form of levothyroxine, has only two excipients, glycerol and water. And sensitivity or allergies to glycerol is also very, very rare.
We also need to talk about dyes in levothyroxine. If you look at most levothyroxine tablets, you'll notice that they are different colors to go with the different dosage sizes. They get their color from various blue, red, and yellow dyes. So here's the deal. While the dyes are approved for use in the United States, they are not approved in many other countries. Various watchdog groups here in the U.S. have demanded that the FDA ban the use of these dyes due to a long list of potential adverse health effects. You can avoid any issues with dyes by only taking the 50 microgram size levothyroxine tablets of all the different brands and generics, which are white and they contain no dyes. Also, here's some good news. All dosage sizes of Euthyrox, the newest brand of levothyroxine tablets on the U.S. market, are white and they have no dyes. And more good news. The tyrosine capsules and tyrosine sole oral solution that I talked about before also contain no dyes whatsoever. Here's another issue related to levothyroxine effectiveness. Your absorption of levothyroxine is negatively affected by food, beverages, supplements, and medications. For example, coffee, milk, high fiber foods, calcium and iron supplements, antacids, and proton pump inhibitor drugs like Prevacid. To reduce the risk, you need to take levothyroxine on an empty stomach and wait at least an hour before eating or drinking coffee, and wait three to four hours before taking calcium or iron supplements, antacids, and drugs like Prevacid. Even then, however, you may still have absorption problems. Also, if you have any digestive or gastrointestinal conditions that change your stomach acid or impair your absorption, conditions like ulcers, irritable bowel disease, Crohn's disease, and celiac disease, here's some important information. These conditions can also interfere with your full absorption of levothyroxine tablets. So, there's one way to bypass this entire set of problems. Research has demonstrated that the tyrosine and tyrosine sole forms, the gel cap and the oral solution, are highly resistant to most effects of foods, drinks, supplements, and medications, and result in more successful and speedy resolution of hypothyroidism compared to the tablets. All forms of levothyroxine are required to fall within the FDA-mandated range of 95 to 105% of stated potency. That means that if you have a levothyroxine, that's a 100 microgram dose, it can actually range anywhere from 95 micrograms to 105 micrograms in actual potency. Each manufacturer, brand name or generic, has its own potency. So this is another challenge that we need to keep in mind when we're taking generic levothyroxine tablets because with each refill of a generic, you can get medication from a different generic manufacturer. This makes careful control of your hypothyroidism difficult, and it can be the reason why you're still symptomatic or your thyroid test levels are fluctuating. The fix is to take a brand name, because if you take a brand name and you stay on the same brand, you're not going to have a problem. If you are taking a generic levothyroxine, you have two choices then. Switch to a brand name, or you can work with a pharmacy that will ensure that you are getting the same generic manufacturer that works for you with every refill. It's not always easy to do at different pharmacies. It depends on having a relationship with the pharmacist. Now, for mail-order levothyroxine without insurance, check out Honeybee Online Pharmacy. They actually let you specify the generic manufacturer for your levothyroxine. 
If you're taking most levothyroxine tablets, you also need to make sure that you store your levothyroxine carefully away from light, moisture, and heat. So that means no bathroom and no kitchen, folks. And be careful with mail order during the summer. You don't want your levothyroxine sitting in a hot mailbox or a hot car for hours. One way to ensure potency, both Tyrosynth brand levothyroxine gel capsules and the Euthyrox brand tablets come in individual blister packs, which protect them from light, moisture, and heat damage and help maintain potency over time. And the Tyrosynth Soul Oral Solution comes in individual dose ampules that also protect the medication. Now, I want to talk about compounded liquid levothyroxine because this is one solution that some doctors and patients have turned to. Compounded liquid levothyroxine is specially prepared for each patient at a compounding pharmacy. It's basically a solution, a liquid solution of levothyroxine. In the past, it's been prescribed when hypothyroid patients are sensitive to various excipients that were in the tablets, they can't absorb tablets well, or someone who can't swallow pills easily. Now, with the availability of the FDA-approved Tyrosin Soul brand of liquid levothyroxine, it's less common that people are looking at compounded liquid, but there are still patients taking it. But compounded liquid levothyroxine comes with significant problems and warnings, as I learned from Dr. Charles Carter. Dr. Carter is a clinical and analytical pharmaceutical researcher and investigator on dozens of drug and health economics studies. He's also an associate professor of clinical research at Campbell University's College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences. Dr. Carter is lead author on a major study on compounded liquid levothyroxine that was released in late 2020. I was very excited to have a chance to speak with him for the podcast. I'm aware of a lot of integrative doctors and patients that are getting compounded T3 medications and occasionally even getting their levothyroxine or their natural thyroid compounded, but I haven't heard of too many people getting compounded liquid. Is that a thing that's out there that I'm not aware of? One of the concerns if we're treating a patient with hypothyroidism is twofold. We recognize that it's a narrow therapeutic index drug. We recognize that the interval between an effective dosing regimen and a dosing regimen that's either supra or super therapeutic is quite narrow, hence we got that categorization. Same time, environmentally, there's this growth in personalized medicine and compounding pharmacies, and it does create a concern. I do not have the exact number or percentage of patients that are getting compounded levothyroxine, but we do know that it happens particularly in those patients that are difficult to control or, and this is the big unknown, if they're moving from one brand or generic formulation of the traditional levothyroxine to another, they could have significant differences in absorption. And yeah. one of the ways to get around that is actually consistently compound it, especially if the compounding was coming from the same pharmacy because there's continuity of care there. Reason that's a problem is because even if it's occurring a very small number of cases, the guidelines for the treatment of hypothyroidism that were published in thyroid literally says that, and I'm especially quoting here, there are no compounding recipes that produce a stable concentration of levothyroxine in suspension. Efforts to create suspensions should be avoided and can be associated with market extremes in dosing. And the medical guidelines say we shouldn't be doing this. So in a very strange way, 
or a very interesting way is a better way of saying it. I do believe that we shouldn't be doing this at all because the guidelines clearly state we shouldn't be doing it. Mm -hmm. And yet it's being done. What we do know is that people that are either hypothyroid and sub-therapeutically treated do not get relief from their symptoms. And if they are supra-therapeutically treated just because of increased absorption, food, drug interactions, drug-drug interactions, you name it, they could be higher levels than what is desired, and a good percentage of them end up in the emergency room. Before the introduction of tyrosine, in particular the liquid formulation in the last couple of years, there probably were some situations where patients felt a need to get a compounded suspension, a compounded liquid. But now that we have a manufactured and very specific and very controlled liquid version of levothyroxine, it sounds to me then that your research is arguing that there is no reason or really no room for compounded liquid levothyroxine. I would agree with that. I would say that the risks of compounding levothyroxine that are presented to the patient weigh the benefit of doing it. Because okay. now we have essentially a purer form of levothyroxine in the gel caps, and now we have a, an oral liquid solution that we could then titrate a patient's dose specifically to what they need without going through the whole compounding process and dealing with stability issues and although we didn't test for it, also sterility issues. The main reason, if I'm understanding it correctly, that people have turned to compounding, in particular in the area of levothyroxine drugs, is that they're trying to get forms of a medication that don't have as many excipients and dyes mm -hmm. and coatings because they're reacting to them that are in some of the traditional tablets and such. If that's the primary rationale, at least in the levothyroxine space for compounding, then both the tyrosine capsules and even more so the tyrosine liquid would really alleviate and eliminate any need for compounded versions of levothyroxine because we have them manufactured under much stricter and much more careful process than can take place in compounding and it's essentially the purest cleanest version of what we're talking about correct that is correct that okay is correct. it obviates all the risks of compounding so when you did this study, I'm looking at the data here, and depending on when you checked it, a couple days, a week later, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, around five weeks later, you were getting all sorts of variation from how many different compounded products did you look at as part of your study? There were a total of 12 products. Six of them came from the community, and six of them were performed by our students at our college that all already completed their compounding training and high-quality equipment presented to them. And we wanted to look at that group because they're the individuals that have just completed their training, so they were proficient in it. Of the 12, one of them actually ended up having the wrong product altogether. Okay. So we looked at one, and we analyzed 11 of them. And all of them seem to come back with pretty significant variation in the potency and percentage levels of levothyroxine in them. That is correct. And one thing about the study, the way we did it, we tried to mimic real-world utilization. So the concept of what is the suspension becomes critical in understanding this variability as well as the concept of degradation. The, the fact that it's a suspension 
is that when a patient would withdraw from the container, the vial, to take a measured dose by volume, there could have been more or less drug in there. It's a matter of fact, the quality of the compounding in part drives the size of the particles that are actually suspended in the fluid. I think our study points in this direction is one of the probabilities or reasons for this variation. One is degradation of the product. The other is the fact that the manufacturer or the compounding of the product for a particular patient, the particles were of various sizes. So we'll see the doses that a patient was getting go down. We see it go up. But over the 34 days we did these measurements, literally they got lower and lower and lower, which was reflexive of something that was previously reported in the literature that these compounds just degrade when you manufacture them, when you compound them. Was there any consideration given in the study also to the accuracy of people drawing up the dose? Because I'm thinking about when my children were little and trying to get that amoxicillin with the plunger and am I getting one millimeter, two milligrams, how much am I getting and feeling like I was never really accurate and it never worked out at the end that I had the exact number of doses I was supposed to have. So obviously I wasn't measuring as tightly as I should. Is that a factor that was taken into consideration in your study? We realized that that was a factor in the real world, but when we received the products after compounding, that's in essence where a lot of the real world aspects of the study stopped because then the samples went into a laboratory and they were measured out very precisely. So the results that we saw in variability in this study may actually be more compounded when somebody who is caring for a patient or the patient themselves doing this in conditions that are outside of a laboratory. I think that that is a critical element to consider that would, in my opinion, either provide further evidence that the variability will be expanded over time. It's probably fairly safe to assume that the level of variation that you all observed was a best-case scenario under laboratory settings with people using very precise ways of measuring out these doses, whereas the typical patient using a, a syringe and pulling up whatever they can and trying to get a fairly accurate measurement is going to be less precise at best. Absolutely. So, the evidence seems quite clear. In almost all cases, compounded liquid levothyroxine really needs to be retired. If you're a patient who needs a low excipient liquid form of levothyroxine, you should talk to your healthcare provider about the Tyrosin Soul oral solution form. We've talked quite a bit about the differences in formulations and ingredients and such, but let's also discuss another critical issue, cost. The cost of levothyroxine falls into a pretty wide range. You may be able to get generic levothyroxine or a brand like Unithroid through your insurance for no copay at all, or maybe just a few dollars a month. Even without insurance, you can get generic levothyroxine at a cash price, typically less than $15 a month. But then, when you get into some of the brand name drugs like Synthroid, you start to see much higher copays and uninsured cash prices of $50 or more per month. And because tyrosine capsules and tyrosine sole liquid are specialized levothyroxine, some insurance companies charge you a huge copay, sometimes more than $100 a month. And the list price at some pharmacies for those drugs can run more than $150 a month. Because generic levothyroxine is so inexpensive, that's what most patients end up taking. But what you end up saving on the cost of the medication can end up costing you a lot more in the end, as Dr. Carter and I discussed. 
from my reading of the research, my understanding was that you looked at all the different factors that take place when someone is put in the category of difficult to treat hypothyroid patient, meaning someone who is having recurrent symptoms, their TSH and thyroid levels are not responding as they should appropriately to the intervention, the treatment, and so their doses are needing to be changed, or in some cases, the form of medication that they're getting is changing. So what you looked at in that study was how much is it costing for these patients to have fairly frequent changes in medication paired to an alternative of being put on a stable brand formulation of thyroid medicine. And you were looking at when somebody has to change medicine, well, they're going to lose time from work because they have to go for a doctor visit. They have the cost of a physician visit or a specialist visit. They have the cost of new medications and co-pays that may be involved in a replacement prescription. There's even hospitalizations and cardiac issues visits to the emergency department, lab tests, further imaging, and my reading of your research was that ultimately when you looked at all of this from a statistical standpoint, that the cost of someone who had more than one dosage change annually was so much greater than if we put them on a slightly more expensive but more reliable and consistent levothyroxine. You hit the nail on the head. That's it exactly. Why is this such an issue that you had to do research on this? To be pretty frank with you, it sounds like a no-brainer to me. Why do we need to have this kind of research to establish something that seems to be fairly obvious? It's a really, really good question, and people have asked me this question in the past, and the points I'm about to make should answer that question. Thyroid disease, hypothyroidism in particular, has been around for ages. Levothyroxine is the standard of care. Levothyroxine is, is a replacement hormone for what the body typically makes. Levothyroxine has gone from branded products to generic products, and there really isn't new treatments coming about to replace levothyroxine. Medical developments and medical advances and new pharmaceutical products are tackling other unmet medical needs, probably in terms of magnitude, are greater than what we have because we have this array of levothyroxine products. So therefore, I think medical education has in essence forgotten for the general practitioner in particular that this is a narrow therapeutic index drug that can make it difficult to get the right dose for the right patient at that point in time for the patient. And all these dynamics come into play and if you get somebody who's diagnosed, recently diagnosed, or has been diagnosed and treated for some time but another comorbidity or another characteristic arises in that patient that this drug needs to be modified the dosage of it. And even if it's a newly diagnosed patient, you think about the strengths this product is available, it's down to the microgram. And we got multiple strengths, just varying a degree of micrograms from one product to the next that should in itself tell you that it's a difficult product to optimize the dose, but it's often forgotten. It's just often forgotten. And up until the point the Tyrosin products became available, we had similar products across the board in terms of tablets and the, the formulation of them, albeit they had different excipients and different pharmaceutical characteristics of the tablets. The bottom line is this is an easy area to forget but we really shouldn't. It's almost like if I'm talking to a group of endocrinologists, they totally get it. They could give me lectures on this matter. But you're talking to an individual who's not kept abreast of the literature and the development and the management of hypothyroidism, this could become a forgotten aspect 
that while the diagnosis is correct, the right drug is being prescribed with all the various products that we have out there and their unique characteristics, titrating a patient to the proper dose with the other dynamics going on in the patient simultaneously over the course of their lifetime, it becomes pretty difficult. Another way of looking at it is that narrow therapeutic index drugs are categorized for a very specific reason. And that categorization is made and it's on the FDA's website. You can get a list of narrow therapeutic index drugs and it's small. We're not looking at hundreds of different products. We're looking at maybe a dozen or less products. Levothyroxine is one of them. I believe personally it's an often forgotten parameter or characteristic about levothyroxine that it is a narrow therapeutic index drug and that it is difficult to titrate patients. You multiply that by the fact that there's a lot of people walking around this country with hypothyroidism, the numbers, the dollar expenditure or the inefficiency of not getting somebody on an appropriate tolerable dose can become very costly and that's kind of what our study showed. Interesting. I definitely would agree with you because it does seem that hypothyroidism is so ubiquitous and the availability of cheap, generic, $5 prescriptions for levothyroxine are so easy that doctors, they're thinking in the short term in some cases rather than the longer term, more like, well, let me just put somebody on generic levothyroxine and then we'll see how they do. Mm -hmm. And then once you've gotten to the point where you've had to have two or three dosage changes or even a patient that says, look, this isn't working, I want to try a brand or I want to switch brands, you're already in for a fair amount of time and money in the manipulation and changes and, and modifications to these doses. The other issue that seems to come up for me is you said endocrinologists understand this completely, but they're not the ones that are treating the majority of thyroid patients out there. We yeah. have only a couple thousand endocrinologists in the United States. The vast majority of people with hypothyroidism are being diagnosed by their GPs, their primary care, their gynecologists, their various doctors that they're seeing that are not thyroid specialists. And I'm guessing that those doctors are going to be less up to speed on these issues of the narrow therapeutic index and the availability of some of these options that may be better able to give them control and response in their patients. That's essentially why the economic analysis showed the results that it did, in my mind, because that was exactly what was happening. So I, I agree with you 100%. We know, for example, with tyrosin that it's strongly recommended for patients who have Crohn's disease or celiac or other sorts of malabsorption mm -hmm. issues. Some of the endocrinologists I've talked to have said, well, right out of the gate, if I know that a patient has that sort of an issue or an absorption problem, I'm going to tell them their best choice is going to be tyrosin. Now, they may not want to do that or they may choose a different drug, but that's usually what I'm going to recommend to them to start out with. But I can tell you any of the other doctors that I've talked with, tyrosin ends up being a last resort levothyroxine for them rather than a first choice. And it sounds like it's a function of awareness more than anything. Correct. I, I would agree with that. A better understanding by the medical community of their options in terms of formulations or levothyroxine product would be, I think, beneficial clinically and beneficial economically to the health systems as well as the patients. What could be done to get this information in front of the doctors that are prescribing? Because obviously a company like Ipsa doesn't have armies of drug reps like an AbbVie or a Pfizer that are hitting doctor's offices day and night. And they're a small company. It's more of a specialty product. How do they get in front of these doctors? How does the word get out to these doctors? Or is it really an uphill battle? 
awareness is one thing, and then solid education is another. Presentation of the results on the study we talked about first at the American Thyroid Association was impactful. Getting the word out through channels of communication, just like this podcast would be effective. Also addressing the gatekeepers, and by gatekeepers, I'm talking about the individuals like third-party payers, the pharmacy benefit managers. Mm-hmm. Understanding you got to look at the totality of the cost of the patient. The challenge of getting that is a challenge for a company that's bringing this product in and trying to increase awareness because with increased awareness is probably going to increase utilization and perhaps a more beneficial, more timely therapeutic benefit to the patient. It's going to change. Let's think about this for a second. Levothyroxine has been around for ages. Getting the word out that there is a branded form of levothyroxine in a unique formulation that may obviate the challenges of the tablet formulations is going to take time, but it needs to be persistent. And it's got some of the ways that if the patients become more aware of it, they can drive it. The payers in our medical community need to be aware of it. And then our prescribers need to be aware of it. Really, it needs to be coming from all directions, top down and bottom up, from the patient up to their prescribers and to their insurers and the PBMs, and the doctors also need to be more aware of it. One of the challenges that I've run into in talking with some of the different doctors and patients is also doctors that are really confused about the cost of the drug, and they will say to me, oh, well, it's a great drug, but nobody can afford it. It's way too expensive. And I'll say, well, have you heard about their programs so that you can get mm-hmm. it for $25 a month if, if you're insured or $40 a month? if you're paying a cash price and that's consistent with Synthroid so it doesn't really price it outside the realm of possibility for the majority of your patients and they're like well I didn't know about that it's news to them so I think sometimes their patients are self-selecting themselves out of the possibility and doctors are not even offering the opportunity because they've decided ahead of time that it's too expensive but they don't realize that it may not be the case I totally agree with that as long as the messages get to patients and the patients are guided the right way, I think that we would see an overall improvement for the numbers of patients that actually would benefit from a drug like Tyrosin. Okay, so let's review. If you are starting levothyroxine treatment for hypothyroidism or your levothyroxine isn't working the way you need it to, make sure that you take into consideration the various factors that could be having an impact. So that means I want you to answer these questions. Do you have allergies or sensitivities to any of the ingredients used as excipients in your levothyroxine? Do you have allergies or sensitivities to dyes that are being used in your levothyroxine? Do you have any pre-existing digestive or gastrointestinal conditions that may be negatively affecting your absorption? And are you storing your levothyroxine properly to protect potency? This is also a good time for me to again mention my levothyroxine deep dive program. It's a completely free educational program that includes video webinars and a downloadable book, and it goes through everything you need to know about brand name and generic levothyroxine, including information discussed in this podcast about the excipients, dyes, absorption, and all of the various savings programs for your medication, from the least expensive generics up to the Tyrosint and Tyrosint Soul special Tyrosint Direct programs to save money. I would love for every thyroid patient who is prescribed levothyroxine to take advantage of this free educational program. 
you'll find it at www.thyroiddeepdive.com slash thyroid drugs. And there's also a link in the show notes. I want to thank my guest, Dr. Charles Carter, for sharing his fascinating research findings and guidance on levothyroxine. You'll find links to Dr. Carter's journal studies, the hypothyroidism treatment guidelines he referenced, and other helpful resources and links, along with a full written transcript of this episode at the Thyroid Deep Dive website, www.thyroiddeepdive.com. And remember that every episode of the Thyroid Deep Dive podcast has the same goal, to provide you with practical information that will help you enjoy the very best health possible. You can subscribe and listen at all of your favorite podcast platforms. This is Mary Showman, and I want to thank you for listening to the Thyroid Deep Dive. Today and every day, may you feel well and live well.